Welcome to To The Point Cybersecurity Podcast. Each week, join Eric Traxler and Carolyn Ford to explore the latest in government cybersecurity news and trending topics. Now, let's get to the point. Welcome to To The Point Cybersecurity Podcast. I'm Carolyn Ford, joined by Eric Trexler. Good morning, Eric. Good morning, Carolyn. So I want to start again by asking our listeners, if you like us, do me a favor, do us a favor, go and give us a rating on your podcast platform, share the episodes that you like, and so we can stay on the air. Because we bring you fantastic guests like this morning. Um, today we have Petko Stoyanov. He's Force Point Global Government Commercial Product CTO. Good morning, Petko. Good morning, Caroline. Good morning, Eric. How are you doing? Wonderful. Thanks for having me on this. I appreciate it. And uh, for your audience, make sure you smack, smash that like button. Nice. It's always nice to see you in your personal bunker also, Petko. Yeah, so Petco, I'd like to start by just having you tell us a little bit about yourself. Give us a little bit of your background. Yeah, so I just recently joined um, Forcepoint from coming from, from McAfee. And prior to McAfee, I spent oof, almost, feels like two decades at this point, working across the DOD, across civilian, across the intelligence community, just helping our CIOs and CISOs really implement technology to fix the challenges they're having. And during that, you know, I started, I kind of joked around, I, I got into cyber backwards. And what I mean by that is I started building weapon systems overseas, UAVs, unmanned aircrafts, radar systems. And as we're doing this, we had to start worrying about how do we protect this technology when it's in, in areas we don't trust? If it's in countries we don't trust, how do we ensure resiliency in those systems? You know, how do we protect the data? And a lot, and eventually that kind of got me into, into the cybersecurity realm as one of the capabilities that we had to look at. And so going from high, high performance computing, UAVs to cyber, and then when you get into cyber, you realize, wow, this isn't really that much different from what I was already doing. I'm just meeting mission requirements, making sure our users can use the system they have while they're fighting every single day using, you know, so they're on the battlefield. And the battlefield is not always in uncontested lands or overseas, but it's, you know, the battlefield is also on, on the networks, on the internet, you know, at home, we're, we're all remote. In fact, more and more so these days. But Petko, what I heard you say was 10 plus years ago, you were thinking about building cyber resiliency, cyber protections into commercial kinetic type products that were being sold to the government. Excellent point. Yeah. One of the, you know, when you have, when you're working with the U.S. government, you're always trying, you know, do you create, I always use the example, do you buy, build or partner? Do you go buy the technology you need and bring it in? Do you partner to get what you need with the systems integrators to get what you need, or you just build it in house internally? And we've seen lots of us over the se- over the years where we have GOTS that's created just for GOTS, and you have COTS that have been modified to become modified GOTS. And the maturity of those products, the resiliency of them, varies based on what what was actually implemented. And I found in very in depending on the program, depending on the mission, some of the software is more resilient than others. And what I mean by resilient is Everything from the ability to withstand an attack from a you know number of vulnerabilities they have to being able to scale. So when a claim system is trying to process you know unemployment records, for example, can it do a hundred? Can it do a hundred thousand claims per minute? That's a huge difference. So when COVID hit, one of the areas I remember talking to state CIOs 
was how do we process all the massive unemployment claims that are going to come in? And some of the state CIOs, well, we're still bare metal. We still have a lot of legacy workflow systems that literally are going to do 50 a day. Well, you've got a million coming. How are you going to scale that? Some of them migrated and modernized their architecture quickly. They did it over a month or two. Others, the ones that are further along, were able to withstand that tsunami of needs that was coming. So I define resiliency as much more than just cyber resiliency, but rather how do we how are we resilient in terms of our daily operation and meeting the mission needs? So mission could be an agency doing its business. Mission could be a system that has to operate overseas, but we need to make sure that we don't have downtime and we have more time on mission. Carolyn, it's interesting. We had Dave McDonald on a couple of months ago talking about the CIO now being the chief resiliency officer. You and I have spoken about resiliency, and we know that in the industry, both on the vendor side and the customer side, resiliency really means different things to different people. Yeah, that's just what I was going to say. You know, I was talking to some colleagues last week, and this word resiliency has been tossed around for years. I mean, as long as I've been with government, which we won't say how long that is, and even some guys that have been in the industry like me for years and years, some of them decades, said to me, what does that mean? Why do you keep saying resilient and what does it mean? And I've, I've seen it associated with like FEMA says, continuity of operations. Okay, great. And I like Petco what you just said, that it's a lot more than cyber. So let's, let's unpack that a little bit more. Yeah, you know, cyber is there to really just protect the mission needs, the workflow, the people, it, you know, it's, it's the guardrails is the way to look at it. You know, cyber is not the, not the, not the solution. Cyber just tends to be part of that problem. So uh, right. defense, uh, defense and justice agency defines, they have four pillars for resiliency. And I think it's kind of interesting. They look at it from the human side. They look at the mental, the physical, the social and spiritual mental. Think about all the active shooters we've had over the years. You know, how do we, protect the people, making sure they're in the right state of mind, making sure they're not being coerced externally by others, making sure they can really, and in a large organizational agency, one of the, you know, their main goal is the mission itself. And individuals, mental health, physical, spiritual, social is part of that. That whole workflow that tends to happen in order to meet the mission needs is a mix of, and it's a cliche thing, but people process technology, if you will. And do we have, the, are the people resilient? Is technology resist, resilient? And is the process resilient? Are three different things we need to look at. So from a technology standpoint, you know, we've, we've had some great inroads with cloud services and be able to scale and adapt. But with people, we really don't. We don't focus on the resiliency of people enough. And from the process standpoint, a lot of times if we have the right people, the right technology, they'll figure out the process, which is definitely true. But what happens if those people leave. And I'll give you an interesting statistic. I read somewhere that recently 800,000 women left the workforce. So uh, Caroline, you, uh, you're nodding, you're good with this. You know, because, because of distance learning, some of them said, well, I'm going to take a couple months off and just make sure things are stable and mental and the kids are safe at home. So what happens when those people leave and the process was never documented, technology wasn't working without the people in the process. You know, organizations and agencies and enterprises are now revisiting resiliency as what happens if a certain part of my workforce leaves? What if we lose that knowledge gap? What if we have situations where 
it's not an external issue, but it's an internal issue where people literally leave. It, it, it's, it's amazing. Or it takes data, you know. So, so do we define resiliency as, as, as really the ability for the business to continue the mission? Yeah, spot on, Eric. Because and, it could be internal to- factors or external factors is what you're saying that really impact our ability to continue mission. And, and what I love about resiliency is it's much more than just government focused. We're, we've seen a lot of government agencies and a lot of even enterprise adopt zero trust. And I think zero trust is definitely big because now we have to figure out how to grant them access from home to their data. But resiliency, I think, is going to be the next thing they start looking at. It's what happens when we've enabled them access to their data, but now we're realizing those people are no longer there like we used to have. We have to constantly adapt. And that right. resiliency, I think, is going to be a big thing next year. Um, as a focus for the U.S. government and also smaller enterprises uh, globally, because they realize zero trust technology solution. We don't solve the people in the process solution. Yeah, I almost hear when I talk to customers, it's almost like lily pads, Carolyn. We we leapfrog from one to another, right? So it's SASE or it's zero trust or ZTNA or next gen firewall, if you want to go back or sandboxing. And, and resiliency is one of those topics that machine learning and AI in there also, right? But but resiliency yeah. is one of those concepts that's ill-defined and it keeps coming up and, and it's a buzzword of the day, but I don't know, Carolyn, what would you do if you were a CIO and your boss came to you and said, I want to ensure resiliency across this business? Where do you start? I, I get it, people well, process technology, but where do you start? So I'm going to go back to our, our episode with General McChrystal a couple of weeks ago. He mm-hmm. talked about resiliency and he talked about it um, as far as information goes. And, and it fits right into what you said, Petco, about um, making our people resilient. So he was talking about making sure that information was getting out to the edges, that it wasn't just a command and control, and that that makes us resilient. When we start to function like the cardiovascular system, and we're pumping that information out to the edges, to everyone, then we become resilient. And and I need to add, very important, not just sending the information out, but empowering our people, everyone, to act. And not just empowering, expecting them to act. And that kind of goes to the personal that you were just talking about, Petco. I like where you're going with that, Carolyn. I really do. Carolyn, I definitely 100% agree. It's about the data. It's about the information. And it, it reminds me early on and, you know, right when COVID hit and I, I remember talking to certain customers in certain departments that would be, you know, I'm not going to name, but one of the challenges they had is they sent everyone home. They didn't have laptops. How do you get them access to the data? If they don't have company agency laptops, do you expect them to use their personal devices? Well, then what happens is that personal device, let's say a cell phone, become in scope for any future investigations. That become a target now. Or in the, in the case of some others who had laptops, they went home and we a lot of a lot of governments, agencies have built these castle and moats where we built lots of security in it. And then what happens when all the furniture leaves that building or all the furniture leaves the castle and you still have to protect the furniture? Your moat's yeah, not there. You don't. So what do you, you don't. And, and what ends up happening then is like, oh, let's get more VPNs. Well, that's just the old way of looking at it. let's bring all the data back in. I remember talking to a CIO who literally said, I have, I need 500,000 VPNs. I only have enough for 10% of my population. 
And I'm like, wow, only 10% of your people can even log in and do work. Yeah, that's you know? a problem. Well, if they have systems. Yeah, and if, what if about what about the systems? Okay, let's so let's say they don't even use their home devices to connect. They're using their work devices and their four-year-olds working on their work device. I yeah. mean, that just opens up a whole new can of worms, right? Yeah, it, it, we, uh, you know, back to resiliency, we've got to look at a more of a holistic, you know, some of the areas that I've seen, like some of the tech companies like Google and others, they start looking at individuals. If the people are happy, if the people are able to work and function, it, they'll be able to support the mission, you know? And, and I think that's extremely important. One of, one of the other ones I thought was interesting is- Meaning they'll find ways. They'll find ways to be productive. They'll yeah. find ways as long as they're they're- incentivized as they, and part of it is that mission that need that mental physical focus to say let's get this done on the mission side but they'll find ways that they'll we all know that security will get thrown out the window right if they need to complete the mission security loses oh that's a multi-level problem and, and we know for a fact it's uh tons of shadow it has happened i i remember talking to certain individuals who they didn't have laptops at home, literally. Uh, there was no resources on, on certain networks on the low side. And what did they do? They used Zoom, they used Slack, they used Facebook just to get it out to the workforce. I mean, can you imagine a general saying, I need you to talk to your employees. I'm, I don't know how, they don't have a cell, I call their cell phone, I can talk to them, but how do I get them emails and data? Oh, send it to their personal Gmail. Is that the right thing? Or let's set up a separate Zoom, let's set up a Facebook or the Slack channel just to put the data out. So all of a sudden you have all these little buckets of information everywhere, thousands of them, where it's almost like a shadow IT problem or, and all that data was being uploaded because certain folks were trying just to do work, trying to be trying to get the mission done. So Petco, yeah. let, let me, let me ask you a question. And I know you've got a deep background in the government and defense and IC where mission trumps everything, but you said people, process and technology when we're talking resiliency. Mm-hmm. It reminds me, I think that's from ITIL back in the day, yeah. right? Okay. So I'm going to ask you a question here. If we have the right people, if we fundamentally start with the right people, does that allow them to employ the right process and technology to accomplish the mission? Right? Cause you could have all the technology in the world, but if you don't have the right people who can adapt and overcome Going back to General McChrystal, Carolyn, does it matter? I mean, so are people, and and this is really the question, are people the most critical piece? Are they the fundamental underpinning to resiliency? I think they're the most adaptable because without people, we don't have the right process. We don't have the right technology. Which can't adapt, right? On its own, it can't adapt. I heard on an earlier uh, web uh, podcast you had, there's a war on talent out there. You know, there's a war making sure we can get the right people, not just any people. And if you have the right people, they can figure out the process, the right technology. But the key is making sure the people are able to give that feedback loop to that process. Because how many times in a large organization, you're like, well, this is the process. We've been doing this for 50 years like this. That's the first problem. You've been doing it too long. You have to change. Uh, You have to put a a forced change in there sometimes where you force folks to look at the process and improve it. Let the people make the changes without that uh we look you're never gonna be able to transform technology you're never going to transform the people and never transform your processing to support your future needs for your mission so carolyn's a new cio her director comes to her and says i need assured resiliency i need you to focus on resiliency what i'm hearing you say is focus on people 
Don't go out and buy a whole bunch of technology. Don't set up 15 data centers right now. Focus on your people first and the rest will flow. Most CIOs I've talked to will start first with infrastructure. Can my systems even right. stay up? And once they get past that, they start saying, well, how do we do business? Well, this is the process. Well, the question should not be about the process, it should be about how do people do business? How do they communicate? Are they being effective? And I would say once you have a stable base infrastructure, focus on the people and then let them update that infrastructure to what their needs are. Are there working groups that CIOs have set up? I mean, there's tons of COVID working groups, it feels like, but how many of them are set up for how do we work better in the in the work environments after COVID? How do we work next year? You know, in, in, in the government, they have lots of classifications, you know, different levels of clearances. And are we able to work from home while being able to access secret equipment? Like what's the, or, or top secret? Is there a way to access that data where we can protect the data, bring the people to the data or the data to the people? You know, maybe there's a way we can just bring the pixels to the people and not have them touch the data. You know, yeah, that's a good some, point. I mean, if the infrastructure, if the heart's not beating, then you're you're dead before you begin. But it seems like that infrastructure, you can really get mired down in that. Right. And, never and it's not quick. People. It's not quick to change it either. No, it, you know, it, it's funny. Well, it depends. I would say it depends on how mature your memorization. We've seen. Lots of CIOs get stuck on, you know, are, are you using a tool or is a tool using you? And what I mean by that is, are you stuck there trying to maintain that tool? And you're spending 80%. I remember talking to a, a cybersecurity group and I found that 80% of their people was just trying to maintain the tools, not even use it, just try to yeah. keep it, the care and feed it. Common. It, it, it's, it's a common thing, but that's why I keep saying you need some base infrastructure for communication. I didn't say all infrastructure, I just said communication. And once we do that, we've got to find a way for the people to do what they need to do. And I think we're seeing that with, you know, in the federal civilian space, we've seen them communicate over Office 365 very effectively and others were, you know, in certain other elements, they're rethinking, how do I protect the data when it's outside the, the skiff, outside the base? You know, I think we're going to start looking at resiliency as, you know, not just the people, the process technology, but rather how do we enable the next level where it's distributed computing, distributed remote work, and I think that's going to make us really resilient long-term. Okay. I think that's a really good point, what you just said. You didn't say all the infrastructure, which is what I heard. And mm -hmm. so you clarifying saying, you just got to make sure communication can happen first, yeah. right? So as we wrap up here, um, give, us, <laughs> give us the top three for this new CISO or any company that's trying to become resilient. Yeah, I think the, the first step is understanding what your technology is. I, I cannot tell you how many teams I've talked to who have literally no idea what's on their network. They know they have lots of technology, lots of vendors. But if you say, give me what the technology looks like, they can't give you a map. So yeah, understand like every team now. we deal with. Yeah. Uh, the, the second is, how does your how do your people influence that? You know, my, my background is system engineering. So I have a habit of looking at things at a holistic standpoint. And everyone's a stakeholder. The people are the stakeholder. The system's a stakeholder. Even vendors are stakeholders in this. Because you'd be amazed if we partnered with vendors and shared what our challenges are. I, I think they're more open to supporting that mission and giving, you know, aligning your expectations with them. Sometimes we tend to keep, as a CIOs, we tend to keep technology vendors outside, so systems integrators outside, and just try to solve it internally. But I think there needs to be a holistic working group or just openness to here's the challenges we're having. How do we do X? And oh, it's, so it's amazing. You know, it's so hard to get what, you know, what problem are you trying to solve? Like it, it is 
so difficult to get that out of a customer or a prospect. So if we know we now we have now from a technology standpoint, and we figure out how people are using that technology, we can easily figure out the process and update it afterwards. And there's behavioral tools out there that actually can identify what people are doing, how they're doing it, what order they're doing it, when they're working, how many emails they're sending, uh, who's getting those emails, who's getting them externally from your agency, what communication paths are important there. And you know, you can truly find not just shadow IT, but rather, you know, the supply chain shadow IT, uh, I call it supply chain shadow that happens and all those other things. Cause you'd be amazed how much collaboration happens outside government systems and comes back in. Mm. And it's not just shadow okay, so- IT, sometimes it's friction, right? It's just a non-optimized work stream or something like that. And if they find more of that, imagine how the CISO and the CIO now can understand what their employees need to do business. Because the CIO's job is an enabler for their for the mission and for the employees. The CISO's job is really there to protect the data, and do compli- and a lot of times do compliance and implement other systems. You know. Um, so whose job is resiliency? With, yeah, but you started with with the human side of it being resiliency. So right. if it's not the CISO that's protecting the human part of it or, or nurturing the human part of it. Those, those four pillars that you talked about, who, whose pillars are those? Yeah, it's, it's in, you know, technology, I think it's the CIO really ultimately kind of owns the mission. And when you look at the mission of the agency, you have to say, what do I need to accomplish that mission? And it's not always focused on the, it's not always focused on that individual or it's folks, CIOs tend to get stuck in technology as we all know. I mean, the care and feeding, maintaining it, and then they're trying to align to the mission needs. But I would say the CIO ultimately owns the information that is owned by the individuals and to accomplish the mission. While to the support CISO, the mission, yes. Yeah. The CISO is a stakeholder in ensuring that the right security is wrapped around that information communication infrastructure that we talked about earlier and getting the mission done. Yeah. Um, All right, so we've got your top three were first catalog your technology, understand what you have. Mm -hmm. Then let's see, you said understand how the people, how your people are using it, and then update processes. And that's, you know, that's really hard in government, right? Because we like to do things the way we've always done things. I mean, in, in general, human nature. But government, we really like our processes. So updating those processes has got to be hard. Well, not if you have the right people. I would argue. Good point. Right? If you have people who can think out of the box, I mean, look at how General McChrystal and team of teams took great people and changed the way they went to battle, right? The way they ran operations. You can do the same thing whether you're running a school and need to get laptops out and internet connectivity because of COVID hit, uh, whether you're a government operation, whatever it may be. If you have the right people, Again, I'm going to go back to the people side. They can think about and overcome these challenges. Eric, I'll I'll sum it up with this. I mean, you have uh, Sun Tzu wrote The Art of War. And we always, he gets usually quoted for know thy enemy. You know, as a lot of government agencies, we tend to focus so much on what's happening outside the agency. But how many of them actually look inside the agency? And the full quote from Sun Tzu is really about know thy enemy and know thyself. And we tend to forget the know thyself. If you only know one of those pieces, it's not enough. So we got to know ourselves in terms of our agencies, our people, our process, and we got to know what's happening outside. What are our 
what's really happening in industry that could affect our mission, could affect us. So we need to apply more of the know thyself instead of know, you know, know thy yes. enemy. The two parts. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And the know thyself, man, that's hard, right? We don't want to look, we don't want to admit, you know, all the flaws and then make those changes, but so important. So Caroline Petko, question I have for you as we wrap up here is how do you define resiliency in your personal lives? Go ahead, Petko. So it's kind of funny um, on a personal, like my wife's taking a little bit of time off and trying to balance the whole distance learning with the kids. I mean, I mentioned earlier, there's probably 800,000 women that took time off just because of distance learning. And I've got three young kids. Um, they're, you know, elementary age. And it, it's kind of the whole distance learning has really been challenging these for my kids. And I started wondering, well, do I want them really sitting in front of a laptop for six hours a day? And mind you, they're six years old, five years old. Is that really effective? Is that really what they need? Or is is something better? And I remember getting emails from certain teachers saying they're not in this class or that class. And I'm, and I'm like, well, yeah, because they're outside playing. I'd rather have them do that. And, you know, get, you know, make sure they're physical outside, not physical in front of a screen during Zoom. That just is not, you know, conducive. So I'm what we've been applying resiliency is we started with the mental health, making sure our kids are mentally sound. We kind of see this year as it's kind of a wash in a lot of ways. And my wife and I are both augmenting our kids mental health with some school, you know, classes. My, my son um, loves to learn. So he li- we literally got him a first grade kindergarten book and he's just been going through it line by line himself, doing his math and everything else. It's amazing. Nice. So we found just a little bit of homeschool, if you will, you know, coming new age, but they're still doing the active public school system, but we're augmenting it with homeschool where it makes sense, making sure they're mentally sound. It's actually bringing us closer together. And we're really understanding the people, understanding the process and using technology to get make that come, that, come across. I love that. I love what you just said, that it's actually bringing you closer together. And I found that in my personal life. I've formed bonds, even with my friends, that would not have happened without this disruption. And then back to your point, Petco, of, you know, we have to nurture and, and our, our talent, our people. They're our most important asset. And as a mother, if my kid's in distress, nothing else matters. Right. I don't have resiliency for anything else. So it's so important that we hold space. Sorry, I'm also a yoga teacher. So that's where that new agey phrase just came in. <laughs> but that we do, that we hold space for that and that we're patient with one another. What about you, Eric? Well, you, you actually brought up a comment that I hear from somebody I spend a lot of time with who says, you know, are you willing to take this on board? And, and what he's really asking is, do you have, to your point, Carolyn, the space? To your point, Petco, you know, where are you spending your time from? So from a resiliency perspective, do you have time to take this on board? Work comes secondary is, is you know, we're, we're personal here right now, but work is secondary to family, to survivability. So I think it all, I think it all comes together. You know, that's one of the reasons that I'm in cyber, Eric, because cyber is so interwoven into our lives that if it's not safe, then my kid's not safe. The people that I love are not safe. And that's where I found, find a little bit of, a lot of purpose. Well, I, I would say, I mean, I was in the army and the infantry and, and you know, your job is to be on the front lines and fighting for the country. And one of the things that the US military does really well is it really tries to take care of your family on the home front, right? So that you can be solely focused on doing what you need to do, which is, fighting the battle and you're not worried about your husband or your wife or your kids 
and are they going to eat and will someone take care of them? And, and you see that a lot. Um, with cyber though, it makes it very personal as you articulated Petco, right? Your wife is taking time off to be with the kids because right now we've got challenges on the home front. Now they're not cyber, right? We're dealing with a global pandemic, but cyber attack, cyber resiliency means we have to take care of ourselves on the home front too. It becomes a lot more personal. It comes and touches us in our homes, in our communities. You guys, thanks so much for getting a little personal. I, I really appreciate it. Yeah, that's the yoga instructor in you coming out, but I, that's okay, it's good. I know, which speaking of, I'm gonna go teach yoga now, so <laughs> we'll end here. Thanks for joining us on the To The Point Cybersecurity Podcast, brought to you by Forcepoint. For more information and show notes from today's episode, please visit www.forcepoint.com slash govpodcast. And don't forget to subscribe and leave a review on iTunes or the Google Play Store 